Welcome, everybody, to another episode of our Puget Systems Podcast, our live Q&A show. Uh, this week, we have Mike Lorraine of Quantum Productions joining us today. Uh, this is be pretty cool because you're a local guy, a little independent uh, sort of film production studio, uh, which is pretty cool. I like I like kind of getting down into the more smaller stuff. It's going to be fun. Um, so just just to start off, uh, Mike, go ahead and give yourself a little introduction, kind of background on what you who, who you are and what you do. Sure, Houston, I appreciate you having me on the show. And uh, I am the co-owner of Quantum Productions, myself, Mike Lorraine, and my business partner, Norbert Kawili. We founded Quantum Productions in Seattle in 1996. So we are just about at our 25th anniversary of being in business together. And uh, the stories I could tell from all the years of how the technology has evolved, how we've evolved, and I'm really thrilled to have Norb as my business partner and best friend. We've been through so much and uh, we have a great relationship, great business relationship. And I couldn't ask for a better person to be heading through life with when it comes to what I do in filmmaking. Just uh, much joy over the years from the things we've done for clients and for ourselves and all types of production from YouTube to all, everything, everything I can think of. Music, sound, oh, yeah. visual effects. So it's been oh, cool. a great ride. Awesome. We're still on awesome. it. <laughs> Which is fantastic. That's super cool. 25 years in that. Wow. That, yeah, you were saying how things have changed. That has got to be, uh, I mean, incredible. Just going from what nearly, nearly pure analog to now a lot of digital work. Yes, when we started, the world was Beta SP. If any of you old school people out there listening, that's what we started with, which was a really high quality analog tape. And we invested in a camera that could shoot in beta and a deck. And we invested in a PC-based Windows 95 edit system called the Fast Video Machine. That was the first hybrid non-linear. That's a lot of, a lot of techo talk there, but in the, in the nuts and bolts of it, it could edit between between tape and digital, which was a big thing because you nowadays we just digitize everything. But back then in the early right. days, you you had to digitize sparingly because you ran out of hard drive space real fast. Sure, sure. That's kind of cool because I know, uh, so in, in talking with, with various folks from, from especially the film industry and things, it's interesting to see how the editing process itself has changed from um, like literally like cutting film and taping it together to now, uh, you know, this non-linear style where you can kind of jump all over the place and put things, put all these different pieces and parts all together in, in, yeah. in a lot more creative ways, it seems. I was thinking about this the other day when I was editing my my own show called Five Minute Gaming with Mike, and we can talk about that a little later. But when I talk on my show, I try really hard not to say, um, and you know, and uh, and I still do, we all do. And when I'm editing the show, I'm taking those out. So I'm looking at my waveforms and I'm, I can even recognize where the you know is fitting and I'll make little points, drop it out. But in the old days, I remember, I was thinking about this, that I couldn't even see the waveforms, but I was taking out ums and uhs in the late nineties of interviews we would shoot. And I would make points on the timeline, but I couldn't see the waveform. So I would just kind of find where it was and bring it down and just little things, little things, how things have evolved to make it easier for all of us. Yeah, actually, that's, a, that's actually, I think, a good place to start. So has, has thing, have things gotten easier 
now that, that you know a lot of digitized things oh they're definitely easier uh, we work faster and uh, you can I always like to quote Robert Rodriguez he's a great filmmaker director he said we can work at the speed of thought and mm. we really can in fact this background behind me I whipped it up about 30 minutes ago and about oh, cool. an hour ago, I was thinking, eh, I need a better background than what I've got. So I took a picture of my pinball machines, added some lens blur, tweaked the colors, brought it in. I worked at the speed of thought. And that's how the technology has changed. In the old days, there was no way to even get a photo into the computer. I, you had to take it with a real camera, send it off for a week of developing, and then have it scanned with a scanner. Eventually, you could do that. I, you couldn't work at the speed of thought back in the 90s. We could do some great stuff. And Norb and I were on the cutting edge for sure with what we were pushing in our own business, but mm -hmm. things took longer. Oh, for sure, for sure. I'm I'm still shocked looking back at like older movies, and Jurassic Park is one that I, I keep thinking about um, of how well they mixed uh, like practical effects and digital. Um, in particular, the scene where uh, the T Rex is coming out of the paddock at, mm -hmm. and it's raining at nighttime. I didn't know that was CG for a long time. I, I thought that was a, like a miniature that they had comped in somehow or something like that. They had done such a great job with that. Um, yeah, and I like that that speed of thought. Uh, that's something that comes up a lot in, in on our side of things. Um, you know, people have to, they've got work to do and minutes matter. It's, it's really cool to see how it's. I will say this, Houston, and I've, it's, it's my old, the older school part of me. I do miss those old days to a certain extent. And I'll sum them up with this. Back in the old days, when we made videos for clients, the videos were usually 15 to 20 minutes long. Now, if you make a 20 minute video for a client, you are, you are, that's death. <laughs> That's death. No one has time. Every video we make is five minutes or less. But in the past, we would make these videos and we would put them on VHS tape. And companies, when they showed them to their employees, they would all sit in a room. And guess what? They would all just watch it. Nobody yeah. had a cell phone to look at while they were watching. Nowadays, it's hard to get people to pay attention to watching videos, even when they're watching them, because their cell phone is right there. And, and it's like yeah. their eyes. I mean, I've watched people. You see their eyes going back and forth. And the first thing I think any of us do now is when someone says, hey, check out this video, you look at how long it is. Mm -hmm. And you think, how much of my this life am I going to lose watching this video? Yeah, that's a that's an interesting point, especially um, the the Justice League Snyder cut was just came out yesterday. That's right. That's four hours. Little, four hours <laughs> and black and, and white. Right. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, or four by three too. That was uh, that threw me for a second. Wow. Um, I wasn't. I wasn't because it uh, turns out it was originally filmed for and edited for IMAX, and so it kind of makes sense. But I, it I was unexpected to watch that on a widescreen with bars like that but um that's yeah that is an interesting point there seems to be uh, yeah it's weird um i was cool with four hours or like the extended cuts of lord of the rings and stuff i'll sit and watch a cool thing for three hours but definitely see that uh in, in my kids and stuff they if TikTok, right? right one minute videos all the time and um yeah i don't know how i feel about it
Well, um, if you don't mind, I, I can sum it up into two words. And sure. I learned this because I have friends that are YouTubers. And mm -hmm. someone sent me a link that was, it explained everything to me better than I'd ever heard. It's called active and passive viewing. Now, passive viewing is when you sit down to watch Jurassic Park, right? You sit on the couch, you put the disc in, or you dial it up on Netflix, and you watch it. You're a passive viewer. You're, you're focused and you're relaxed. But watching YouTube videos is called active viewing, meaning you're usually at your computer, your phone, you're, you're active. You're not sitting at the couch with that focus. And so mm. YouTube videos and movies are looked at very differently from those two respects. And that really opened my eyes to what it means. In fact, when I end my show, I talk about at the end of my show, come with me to, to talk about this other game. Let's just keep the fun going and we're gonna move there. Because active viewers can click off at any second, but you're not gonna right. click off at any second when you're watching a movie. When you sit down That's to watch true. a movie or a Netflix show, you're in. This Unless it really thought. sucks, yeah. <laughs> then you're out. <laughs> right. Yeah, man. I wonder. I've also noticed too, um, in, in in films at least, um, the cuts, the like scene changes are really, really fast. You'll 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 only be looking at something for two or three seconds before boop. Now we're looking at something else. Now something else. And yeah. Is I wonder. I wonder if if it's uh, like it's kind of a chicken and egg thing, right? Like, is it is it because we as consumers want more more that sort of like flashy stimulus or or are we being trained to accept that as as the media do you think? I think it's the nature of the internet and cell phones and instant gratification I see it in my own kids they're very very impatient they don't mm. like waiting for anything in fact my kids and I have I have a son two sons 14 and 11 they both mm -hmm. think email is too slow oh sure because you have to wait for them to write back. Right. They want everything they do is through Discord, which is an online app where it's a it's a great app. I'm on there too. You communicate well, with people, but everything's instant. You see someone's on, you send them a message, they send you one back. It's instant and quick. And the future generation, I hope they can learn some patience. <laughs> I see it in my own kids. So, yeah, I I, I feel the same. I have a 15 and a 10 year old, and. Uh, that that the patience and that that that's got its fingers in everything because yeah that it has to be now 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 it's, and I don't know I'm, I I've learned over years to be more patient it, despite yeah. having grown up in the internet in the internet age like I I remember there being time when no internet and now now if a web page doesn't it's three seconds I'm like the heck I don't remember the the technology behind all of this stuff and I imagine too it's similar. When, when you're dealing with editing software or whatnot, if something, because we're still being so fast, uh, when things slow down, you get so frustrated. But I have to remember, this, this stuff goes out to outer space. Mm -hmm. it's 100, 150 miles out into space to, and come back. It's okay. Cool. It's it's sad in a way because now I become the back in my day we used to you know and here I am I'm the guy saying that back in my day we had to wait a week or two for a package to arrive and and uh, so yeah I become the joke of what I used to make fun of. <laughs> mm -hmm. Same though yeah because uh, but uh, man um. Let's, 
Oh, sorry, I got a little I lost my train of thought for a moment. Um, so I guess I, I, I'll start. I'll start with kind of with the basic stuff. What What is it that led you to be where you are now? Like, what really got you fired up to, to follow this path? Oh, that's a great question. I can tell you when I was a kid, I loved movies. As soon as I was old enough to understand what a movie was, I was captivated. I will never forget the day my dad took me to see Star Wars. <laughs> Changed my life. Like most people, I, I, I meet so many people out there that say the same thing. And, and yeah, when, when I walked out of Star Wars, I was a different guy. And ever since then, I, and again, after you saw Star Wars, you left the theater and that was it. All you were left with was the memories of what you saw. You couldn't go look it up on the internet. You couldn't watch it again. You had to just think about it and try to mm -hmm. remember everything from the sounds to the sights. So I thought about the movie and I got into what cameras did. When Steven Spielberg started making movies, I noticed how he'd move the camera. I paid attention to Steadicam work when it was new in Ghostbusters. And I started just thinking about the floaty camera and what the camera did and I would I would walk home from school every day and entertain myself that I was a camera and I would pretend to do shots you know I'd even hold my hand up like this and look through my look through my my thing like a lens and yeah. And so that was the early days because I couldn't get a video camera. They, they weren't available for consumers, so I had to do it all in my imagination. But then when I hit high school and video cameras started being around, I was able to get my hands on one and do some experimenting with that. And over that, it just evolved. And uh, uh, I mentioned this to you. You asked for some information on me. I'll keep the story really brief. But the probably the real kicker was when I started school at Pacific Lutheran University during January they have a one month in between first and second semester where you can pick a different school and take a different type of program. So I picked this school in North Carolina I knew nothing about. It just had snow and I thought that looked cool and they had a class on movies. So I flew out there. The joke is it was an all women's college and I didn't know it. <laughs> And they thought I knew, and there was no internet, no way to, it was just a brochure, and they accepted me, and I learned they, they let guys take classes there, you just can't graduate. But when I showed up, I was oh. pretty shocked. And, uh, but I took a class on movies with about 20 other girls, and we watched a lot of classic films like Citizen Kane, The Rules of the Game, important movies from the days long before me. And the professor, I told him how much I liked movies, and he said, well, if I got my hands on a video camera, would you write a, a movie and get the girls to star in it? And I said, yes. So I went back to my room and I wrote a murder mystery. And I had about 10 of the girls act in it, and I shot it. And the way I edited it, I just had two VCRs. So I edited from the camera to the VCR, and all the edits are have all kinds of, of messy artifacts on them. But it didn't matter. I was so motivated and so excited. And when I came back to Washington State, I knew what I wanted to do. Oh, that's Make so movies. cool. Yeah. Um, I'm curious about the business side of it so how did mm -hmm. that get started and 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 what are some of the, the early kind of hurdles for first say somebody wants to start their own kind of thing like you've got what, what kind of those sure. did you have well and, and it's different now than it was back then back then it was a much wider difference between the people who could do professional video and the people that couldn't 
nowadays anybody can shoot video anybody can edit video now you just have to learn good techniques and ways to find people that will will pay you to do it so you can make a career out of it but in the the old days of the 90s uh norm and i had both been working for other people i had been doing some work at uw television norb had been shooting weddings and i had been working for someone else helping them make some videos and norb and i decided to join forces and when we joined forces the only way we knew we could compete in the corporate world was to get beta sp because if you didn't shoot beta you were considered nothing if you didn't shoot beta if you shot on svhs or hi8 you were looked at shunned by the industry people there was definitely a tier system and and to to get in you had to shoot beta so we invested about twenty thousand dollars i got a loan from my parents norb's parents had a facility in the house where we could set up shop and edit studio and we borrowed from the bank and we bought a beta sp camera and a deck and then i had connections with a woman who worked at nordstrom and i called her up and asked her if she'd come out and talk with us and she did and i remember norb and i had worked so hard and we talked about we started telling her about how we had this windows 95 computer and we could do all this and she stopped us she literally stopped us as guys i'm not really interested in what tech you have i'm interested in how you can tell stories and what you can do when it comes to making quality work. And so we started talking about what we'd done and then she discovered Norb was a music composer. And she said, I need music for a video I'm working on right now. And there, that's how it began. So Nordstrom was really our first big client. And then we started working for Safeco Insurance because Norb knew someone at Safeco. And so it was a number of things. We invested and borrowed money and and got the technology to where we could compete. But then Mm -hmm. we had people who helped us. And I would say that for anyone out there is is you need to understand the technology, but you need good relationships with other people to help you and hopefully lend you into meeting companies that will hire you and, and pay you for your work so you can pay the bills and earn a living and grow and buy more equipment and it all evolves. So and now the technology is there anybody can do it but it's hard to there's there's just more people doing it so it's harder to find clients that will pay you and respect you for what you do so I don't know. how was that that's, that's that's really good and you hit on a, a good point there because um oftentimes i hear from from other industry folk that um it's, it's such a good thing that the, the barrier to entry is so low. Everybody has a, a great camera in their pocket. They've got editing software in their pocket. They can, they can do it anywhere, everywhere. But um, the dark side of that is that there's so much out there that it is really hard to kind of stand out and be noticed. Well, and to be respected and paid for it. Like so many artists, uh, you know, it's like almost expected that you should just give it away or like the starving artist sort of uh, mentality. That is the hardest thing, Houston, is the work for free versus getting paid. The hardest thing. And I have had so many talks with people over the years, and I've had plenty of people who've wanted me to do work for them and not want to pay. And fortunately, Mm -hmm. we have enough 
clients out there that respect us and help keep us alive and understand that, you know, we all need to be paid for our work. I noticed in the comments, Matt Bach asked, do you feel like there are artificial barriers today similar to the shooting on beta you mentioned back in the old days? That's a good question. As far as a barrier, I would say the biggest barrier now is you have to rise above the noise. The noise meaning that everyone can do this. On the Facebook page, there's a group called Production Peeps. And whenever someone posts for a job, I mean, there's 10 to 20 people all chiming in. I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. And of course, when someone posts for a job, they usually don't post what they're paying. And then you get mm-hmm. into, well, what 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 are you going to get paid? How What kind of a deal are you going to make to not only ensure that you're valued, but also set a standard for what other people should be paid? That is the hardest thing. And it's like that in the movie business, too. It's like that in any field where people want to do it and there's a certain entertainment value. I just think that it it makes it, there's just a lot of people that are willing to work for free. And I was also willing to work for free back in the 90s. The thing that helped too is I could live cheap. I didn't have a family. I didn't have a lot of bills to pay. So the young people out there who are now in that boat where you're living cheap, I encourage you, Pick your right things and and do some free stuff. If it's the right thing and the right relationship and you feel like nobody's going to take you for granted, the hardest part is sometimes people get you for free and then they don't ever want to pay you. Right. So... Not sure if that um, answered that, you... Matt. That's a that's a, a, a good and tricky question to answer, but I think the barrier summed up would just be the rising above everybody yeah. else. And how how do you recommend someone to stand out? Like, what what do you find to be the best way to do that? Learn as much as you can. YouTube is one of the greatest things about YouTube is it'll teach you anything. I didn't have that growing up. I had to, if anything, I had to buy some books and I just had a lot of trial and error and I had to figure out and solve problems. But YouTube can help you learn quicker. And then I would say for the young people out there again, and I don't know, I'm not sure who the audience is here. If it's, you know, if the demographic of people watching the show, but I would say for the younger folks, make relationships with people, work together. If you love production, you can't do it yourself. Get a good team and each take on duties. And the greatest joy in my past is the memories of the people I've worked with on productions, videos, movies. To me, that's everything. And so for someone trying to figure this out, learn a lot, work hard, uh, give yourself things to do after you learn something to try to challenge yourself to figure out where you get stuck. But then make friends. And with the younger folks today, I see this, they want to do everything through texting. They don't like to talk, but you have to talk. Just like Houston, you and I are talking. Imagine if we tried to do this by texting back and forth, the show. (laughs) I don't type that fast. (laughs) (laughs) It'd be hard. Voice to text. (laughs) So. Uh, We have a a, a good question, one that I'm kind of interested in, uh, from Twitch, actually. NPR1999, he asks, what top three openings of of films are the best? He he says, mine are Kill Bill, Pulp Fiction, Star Wars. Boy. Well, one of my favorite opens, and I think a lot of people are going to go, what? 
is Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. I just love that open. And Raiders of the Lost Ark is great, too. That was the first one. But the Temple of Doom, I watched that open a lot. And I just remember as a kid seeing it for the first time and how they they had the big battle at Club Obi-Wan. And then they get in the plane and they come out of the plane and the raft. And it was just such a... I remember as a kid, I think I was... Like down in the theater watching all these things happen. So Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Star Wars, I would have to say as well, because when the ship comes over the camera and here I am, I'm zeroing in on stuff when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And when we're younger, we're very impressionable. But gosh, there's so many great films today that have just great opens. I'll tell you what, I said two, let's keep talking and and I'll maybe think of a third one when I can sure. you know, come up with a good one. Sure, sure. I always liked the the beginning of the fifth element. I felt it was a great uh, that scene from I think it's like from 1934. That that yeah. prologue bit was, was awesome. It was great. The fifth element's uh, a great movie. I've seen it many times, right. and I have to laugh about that open scene because that has Luke Perry in it, and Luke Perry is in that movie for about five minutes, and yet he's one yep. of the top names that come in the open credits. I always thought it was very odd. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's right. Says, and Luke huh. Perry. And he's, yeah. he's after five minutes, you never see him again. Right. I wonder, huh, I wonder, I'm not sure what, what year that, that had come out, but I wonder if that was still all, like kind of on the tail of uh, 90210, so he may have been a little bigger at that point. Um, you know, one of the things that's the best about the friendship Norb and I have is we love to quote movies, and we've done it yeah. our whole life. We'll, we'll quote a movie line to just... <laughs> sum up a certain situation where then from the fifth element a lot of times we say you want some more that was the the, the robot <laughs> bartender he says if I, I maybe ask him if he wants some more i'll say you want some more so that's it's one of our that. subtle little things we do to entertain ourselves i i quote the the thai guy a lot oh oh uh, grandfather say it never rain every day you know, this, this good news guarantee <laughs> Fire. <laughs> and Gary Oldman had a great a- accent. These cases are empty. Um, I'm shocked that they got Gary Oldman for that movie. That had to have been like 60% of the budget. Yeah. <laughs> Multipass. Oh, man. We could go on and Such on, couldn't we? <laughs> I love that movie so much. It's like it fights for it fights for top spot for um, the, the Princess Bride for me. Uh, two my yeah. two most favorite. Ones, so. Sure. Um, uh, here's another question from NPR nineteen ninety nine. He asks, um, "Have computers and CGI uh, overtaken real filming and storytelling?" Uh, absolutely not. I'm a member of the Visual Effects Society of. Uh, I'm in the Washington Division, but it's a national world organization, and uh, uh, we talk a lot about visual effects and CG, and it is always going to be an accompaniment to to filmmaking and shooting with cameras. I could never... I mean, we have animated films, but as far as stuff that's meant to look photoreal, we're doing more and more. And we'll see more and more, but uh, I don't ever expect it to take over completely. What I think is more interesting, and this is something most people don't talk about, is sound as far as voices. It is it, it is the hardest thing to get voices to work. I mean, we have Alexa and voices that sound pretty decent, but could you imagine watching a movie where the voices of characters are not done with real actors? Mm-hmm. I wonder mm-hmm. when that day yeah. will come. It's... That, it's so hard, though, uh, natural language processing like that. Even for both, both to get the computer to understand, but then also to return 
in a way that isn't obviously fake. Um, I think that's going to be a really tough challenge for sure. Which is yeah. strange though, because we must have gobs and gobs of data. Like there's there's millions of hours of people talking, and, and um, I suppose it just comes down to processing it all. Because you know we're, we've gotten to a point with machine learning and AI where where we can process this, these massive amounts of data very quickly and pull really good uh, like inferences and training from them. I wonder what the trouble is with audio. Because, um, you know, you see these, these models that are trained to identify cancer from x-rays or, or little microscope screenshots and stuff that are at least equal to a human being doing it or better in right. some cases and so i am curious now that you mentioned i'm curious what the trouble is with audio that, that we haven't gotten to a point where it's more natural and back to visual effects there's a term called the uncanny valley have you ever heard of that and that's oh, yeah. best described as where you get something 90 percent there but that last 10 percent the audience still feels like this character is fake and you do mm -hmm. everything you can, you motion capture the person's face, you get everything where it should work. But there's something that's not there. And some at this point, you can't get past that sometimes. And maybe mm -hmm. there will come a day where the uncanny valley is no longer there, but it still is. I think eventually, uh, but um, I've noticed uh, some deep fakes are, are kind of a big thing right now. You see a lot of, there's like a whole TikTok of this one guy who deep fakes himself as Tom Cruise. Hmm. I, I I maybe it's because I, I've been exposed to it quite a bit, but I can still tell. Like it's there's still and it's really good. It is amazing, but there's still these these little differences. Like the lighting isn't quite right. The mouth doesn't move quite right. The right the, and uh, it's yeah it's uncanny. Like you say, it's it's almost there, but. It's like in video games, they love to show still images of these, like for the newest basketball game, the NBA game and the PlayStation 5, they love to show still frames of, how, look how good they look, but boy, the minute you see them move, it's like, mm. <laughs> yeah. Right? Oh, man. That's, yeah, that's actually a really good point, because, yeah, for one frame, sure, we can make this just like LeBron James, but not, not during actual gameplay. <laughs> It's like even at the end of The Mandalorian. Well, I better not talk about that in case nobody's seen that. But I, I better stop myself because oh, I would have to talk about a spoiler. So, it, I think I think it's been long enough. Especially Corridor did uh, a redo of that last shot. Corridor Digital did a redo of that last shot, uh, and okay. they they claim they made a better a better Luke Skywalker. And I feel like it it kind of goes back and forth. Like they did a good job with some parts, but then. Problem is when he talks. <laughs> you notice they show mm -hmm. Mark Hamill. He shows up as Luke Skywalker, and he looked great. But boy, he moved super mm -hmm. slow, just like barely moving. And they they kept they kept. <laughs> him from saying too much and I, I could see all the reasons why because I'm sure in the tests they could that uncanny valley was kicking in and it just looked fake and so by not yeah. moving him too much then it could almost look like that still frame you're talking about so right. they're yeah. gonna keep trying and uh, 
at times I think they'll they'll get further than other times. Sometimes it just goes into the. It's not just the software; it's the artists. I mean, oh, so absolutely. For yeah, th- th- there's still the people. There's still the people aspect of it. Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. interesting too. Um, so I'm gonna hit this one more question from NPR 1999, and then I have another thought as well. Uh, he asks as a follow-up question: When are we going to have an AI written movie and even AI filmed slash story? When will artificial intelligence, as in Skynet from Terminator 2, uh, make a movie? <laughs> <laughs> I I just I don't know, maybe it's the old school party I don't see that happening I, and I guess it'll happen but will it be great that's the other part right. is it could happen but but will it be great beyond a technical achievement I don't know there's that human element that always has to come into everything but again there are smarter people out there than me that probably have can do more and think through this more than I can. So I feel like I'm not the expert to answer that. All I can do is answer it based on my life and experience, which my life and experience doesn't account for all the other life and experience out there. So, sure. uh, so to, touch, to touch kind of back on um, you know, film and, and TV, um, I think let me see how I can phrase this a little better than my original thought. Um, especially with the road bump that was this past year and, and the COVID stuff, um, do you think we're going to be seeing more high-quality series rather than uh, feature films? Good question. There's been so much going on with the the movie theater chain struggling in this time of COVID and obviously HBO Max and Warner Brothers move to release movies day and day. I was listening to another show talking about that Disney is changing its bargaining uh, with movie theaters on the way it releases its films. And that really makes me sad because I am a movie theater person. I've grown up going to the theater. The movie theater is my second home home. I drag my kids to the movie theater all the time. I love the movie theater. And I have a great movie theater at home, but I like going to the theater and watching it with a group of people on a big screen. And I worry about the future when it comes to watching things at home. I feel like if everything is done for home, something will be lost. And I'm worried because COVID has hurt the theaters, but not just that, the movie studios are hurting the theaters by deciding to not give them that that three-month window they used to have where they could have the movies in the theaters and then they go to digital. I think that was a good, happy medium. But it's all about control. Everything always has been. And the movie studios have the control because they make the movies. It's their product. The movie theaters are there to show it. They make the money off the concessions. And I'm sad. I wish they could work together better as a team. Because when we make content ourselves, Norb and I are a team. We work with clients. We're a big team. We work together to achieve something great. But in this case, I feel like it's, it's hardball. It's hard negotiating. It's who's got the upper hand. And I, I can't say it enough. I worry about the future that eventually movie theaters are going to die. And I don't know how to change that when 
the people holding the cards don't seem to care. Yeah, that is unfortunate. It's a, a lot. I, I feel like I think you're right too because it's a lot like um, the drive-ins. I, I used to love as yeah. a kid going to a drive-in theater, and you know there used to be one just just a few miles from where I grew up, and uh, it's apartment complexes now. <laughs> it really yeah. bums me out. They, I feel like I feel like they could have done a lot more because I mean it's a lot of space and stuff. To, even a regular you know, Regal Cinemas takes up a huge amount of space. But uh, there, I feel like they, there's there could be ways to still keep them alive by repurposing the space when you're not playing videos. You know, you don't have to do it all day. You can start at 3 p.m. and then during the rest of the earlier part of the day it could be something else or. Um, it's hard to it is that's going to be really sad though because that that experience that shared experience with people yeah. to it it, it kind of reminds me of maybe back in the way way back in the day tribal style where you sat around a fire and exchanged stories and, and that sort of thing it's, but the younger generation today, they don't seem as interested in the movie theater either from what I see. I mean, my boys, I take them, so they're used to it. But I see many younger folks very comfortable watching a movie on their cell phone. I could yeah. never watch Jurassic Park on my cell phone. I could never do that. But there's plenty of people that to them, it's, it's, it's like active viewing. They just check it out, move on. So I, I don't know. As a filmmaker myself... I am worried about that. I think what Norb and I do is fine because we do movies for businesses and there's always going to be a need. A business will always have a need to communicate to people and that's through storytelling where we interview people in that company and we show what they do either for marketing or training. And I feel very secure about that. I I had to think that through about 10, 15 years ago when things were changing. I thought, I think we're going to be fine because even though the technology is changing, you still have to tell a story the same way. We film people talking. We just do it digitally instead of analog. But when it comes to movies, I don't know. And, you know, the, the great thing is it's easier to make a movie today than it used to be. Sure. But there's so many movies. So how do you rise mm -hmm. above the noise? It's And how do you get people to see your film? Uh, we made a movie called Frayed. In fact, if you don't mind, I'm going to just give that a quick plug. There yeah, is, go for it. There is the disc right there, Frayed. Released by Lionsgate. You can get this on Amazon. Watch it on demand. We made this uh, all in Washington State. I would bet anyone here watching has never heard of it. And this movie... This movie is liked, if you like horror movies, Frayed is well-liked by a lot of people, especially if you like old-school horror. Uh, cool. Most people who watch it think it's great, but nobody knows about it. it it's, yeah. it's the nature of how things are today. Yeah. Well, hopefully, hopefully you'll blow up a little bit from this. I think that'll be a lot of fun. <laughs> Halloween's a good time uh, to check out Frayed if you're. Uh, oh, it, sure. It's, uh, so you know, but yeah, it's if you like horror, check it out. I did the visual effects of the movie. Norb was the co-director. Uh, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, and heart, and soul, and money went into making that film. So, cool. so please check it out. You mentioned storytelling. Uh, has that changed much over the, the how you go about that? Has that changed much at all over the 25 years? I think storytelling is creative, and there are so many ways to do it. As a matter of fact, the timing of your question, last night I watched the movie I, Tanya, which is cool. a great movie. 
And that is very different type of storytelling than I'd ever seen, where they interviewed Jeff Galuli and Tanya Harding and asked them about their accounts of what happened. And they both told such conflicting stories, the writer decided to let the actors tell their stories both conflictingly in the movie. Never, Ooh. never had been done that way before. It was super clever storytelling. Highly recommend that film. And I've never seen storytelling done like that before. So again, cool. storytelling, I think, can be told so many ways and it's just creatively up to the storyteller. There's no rules. There's no way you have to do it. You do it the way that I think is just entertaining and fun and works for the audience. I think if you can have humor in your storytelling, that's always good. It's never good to be too serious. And humor is a risk because obviously if it's not done well, it can fall flat. But I've always noticed, even with my my boys, they love stuff that's funny. And and uh, I think a good balance is great. I mean, the dark comedy is something that evolved, I think, from the 90s on as I was going through my own career. And uh, so I don't know if that answers the question very well, but I would just say storytelling, there's no rules to it. But it just tell a good story, get you know, and get to the points and uh, just understand your audience might be a little more patient than they used to be. Um, I'm curious, what's been what's been your favorite project to work on? Mm, I have so many, so many projects. That is a, a tough one. Probably, I would still say the the favorite project is sometimes the one that's the hardest because sure. you have a lot of problems to solve, whether they're technical or just from getting things shot. It's hard to film when you're out on location, especially if you're on a low budget. And there was a video we did for Safeco called Caught in the Web, Staying Safe in Cyberspace that Norb, I'm, when he's watching this, I'm sure he would nod and agree. It goes down as one of the best because we had the hardest time making it. I had to do oh. computer graphics, 3D animation using 3D Studio Max at levels I'd never done. And we had to film in a home where the client's wife didn't know that when you film in a house, you bring in a crew of 10 to 15 people and there's wires everywhere. And she was going crazy when we were trying to get these scenes shot. She wanted us out and we had to then quit. It was all this stress and pressure. But in the end, it all worked out great. Even the, the, the wife who didn't want us there had us back for a premiere showing of the film. And I look at that one with very fond memories because it represents a time where I was not comfortable with what I was doing. I was teaching myself 3D animation at the same time we're trying to make stuff cool. Norb is pushing me in ways that I sometimes regretted, you know, or, or resented because, and he was right on every account because I was still trying to figure out what I was doing. So I didn't do things and he would point them out. And the long-term joke with us that I'd say, well, it looks good on the small monitor. I know on the big monitor, there was fun, but look at this tiny, it looks fine. But it was all because I was just stressed. So, but in the end, Norb and I both look back at this video and I, I'm sad to say you can't see this one. It just, this was done before the internet. It was about internet safety, but that was before you put videos on the internet, but it's never been out there. So it's one of those things that, that we have and sadly very few people have seen, but even today, I think it's, it's an entertaining one to watch. So that would probably still be one of the greatest. 
uh, you sent me a few links to uh, some of some of the projects that you've done with sure. um, Puget Sound Energy, which, yes. which were actually kind of fun, fun and funny. Uh, how how does right, how does something like that come? To, to be, I guess. Um, I, I had mentioned before the stream about uh, from ideation to final project. So does, does did Puget Sound Energy come to you guys with an idea already? Or like how did that, and, and in, I suppose in a bigger picture way, let's, let's expand it out from a higher level. A client approaches you, and then how's that process? Well, I have a great story when it comes to Puget Sound Energy. And the story is, and I encourage you out there, in, Never stop creating things because you never know where the work will come from. And my business partner, Norb, has a Seahawks YouTube channel, and I'm sure you could put a link, Houston, to that down in the comments. But we were doing these fun videos for his channel where we were, uh, we call them rivals, where Norb would get in a fight with a rival fan. There's one where Norb and I get in a big battle. I'm a Broncos fan and he's a Seahawks fan. We have this big battle. And our Puget Sound Energy client, we had just been starting to work with to do some pretty straight up videos. He, he saw them. We didn't send them to him. They were just on YouTube and he saw them and he had us in for a meeting and he said, I saw that thing you guys did for rivals. He said, I want you to do some stuff like that for us where we make some safety films, but I want them to be at that level of cool because this guy liked yeah. movies. And so we're like, wow, we never thought that video was ever going to get us work. It was just something right. we could do for fun and to get a creative outlet. And so the videos you're talking about that uh, we did, which I would encourage you to post the viral video, the one on the down power line, which is another story because one of those videos we did for PJ Sound Energy, they said we wanted to do a video about what to do if a down power line crosses your car in an accident, how to not shock yourself, how to leave safely the situation. And so we, Norb wrote a script and we filmed with actors and we shot it over in Bellevue in a kind of a lot off off the main drag. And we didn't know it was gonna go viral. We didn't think, yeah, we're making a viral video here. If someone knew how to make a viral video, I'd like to read that, that recipe playbook. So right. we're just doing our work. We're making it great like we do and everything. And it just took off. Someone shared it somewhere and it's, been by far the most viral video we've done and perhaps some of the people watching have seen it it's been all over the world but uh when we were making that the first thing i would tell you is we didn't know it was going to become what it did but it was great so but how so again kind of, kind of coming back to the the process part how how much input and control like what's the split there do, does the does a client usually say oh i have this vision and this is what i want or is it more broad from from the outside that you guys get to play within that framework that depends we've worked for so many clients over the years so much of it is just learning what the type of person is you're working with we have some clients that are very hands off they're of the mindset they say you do what you do we just need a video about this and so they trust us and we come up with a budget they approve the budget and we just make it and they may have very little input or change and Norb and I are at a point where we have I don't we've never really failed I mean we've always turned out a video that's been that's been okay I can't think of anything we've done that was 
where we blew it. And that's yeah. because I, we've been doing this long enough. We know how we we know ourselves if it's not good and we'll fix it before it's finished. So uh, but then there's clients that are very hands on, that are very micromanagers that that want control the whole way through. And we work with them just fine, too. We learn to read oh, cool. our audience and our audience being the client. And the best thing you can do is just learn when someone is paying you to make something, first of all, they have the right and the control, and then it's up to them how much of it they want. Okay. So a lot of over the years is we've just learned to read people and you learn how they think and we adapt to the way they work to make them happy. And that's important because we are work for hire and we need people to like our work and like working with us so they'll use us again. So we work very hard to make our clients happy and uh, I am proud of that. I, I've, I, don't, I give advice to my own kids. I says, you gotta, you gotta make sure that when you work with other people that they, they, whatever you do, they look back and say, that person was great to work with. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, feel, I would just say I feel similar about our work. Yeah, filmmakers, that's right. Filmmakers sometimes, I think, just need to watch it and just remember, I mean, when you want the control, do your own thing. But if you're working for someone else, you've got to gotta read them and listen to them and, and make them happy. So, and Puget yeah. Systems, I would say, uh, Jared Lewis, I want to do a shout out to Jared Lewis. He was the guy who helped me put together my computer. What a great guy. I really appreciated his help all the way through. He was willing to talk to me on the phone if I mm -hmm. called him. And I, of course, was careful not to call him too much, only when I had some questions. And I first thing I'd say is, Jared, I hope you don't mind talking to me. I feel like we could accomplish this quicker than some emails. And he'd say, oh, I love to talk. Let's talk. And it was great. He couldn't have been better. And I'm super happy with the work Jared did to help me with this computer that I am using to talk to you on this show. That's awesome. Uh, that's oh, cool. I, I love to hear that because um, it's something I used to do assembly. And early on, uh, I, I would get frustrated. Like, man, why, why is this configured this way? This doesn't make sense. This is, it's hard for me, right? I get all grumpy about, oh, this make my job hard it took me a little while to kind of to understand that it it isn't it isn't me right i'm making something so that they can do something better uh when i started digging into the use cases and i started to realize the work that i'm doing is is out there changing the world they're you know we're curing diseases or making making cool videos for people and uh, these solutions uh, and, and it's hard for every step of the line it's tough for me to do this part it's tough for you to edit and film and, and write and direct uh, everybody has their, their tough part and I'm just trying to make it a little easier for the next person down the line I was looking at the comments on YouTube Kentucky Ranger oh, sure. asked a question have mm -hmm. you ever walked away from a client if yes why good question we have not walked away from a client. We have had clients that have decided not to pay us based on our arrangement and the relationship has ended. That has happened very rarely. 
but it's happened a couple times and I look back at those times in my career not real great uh, definitely took me to some low points because I trust people and some sometimes sure. some trust was broken I felt like I'd been taken for a ride rarely happens but the other advice I would give about when you're evaluating a client if it's someone you want to work with and this is not my advice this advice was given to me from a producer I worked with for many years she said don't ever say no just say you're busy and that was good advice I and I use that today just say you're busy if you don't want to work with them or you're not sure just say you're busy but it's much better than saying no so sure. I would just say that that that's advice I got that I use today <laughs> yeah, I like that I like that because it kind of leaves the door open a little bit uh, just in case things may change or yeah. or because maybe maybe it's just a person that is difficult not the, not the company at large and so it still leaves an opportunity to maybe work together in the future if things change that's, right because really you might good. be like saying that. if you say no it might be under false assumption of this person who you're still getting to know and maybe over time you get to know what they're about through other ways and so by saying you're busy you haven't burned a bridge when yeah. when you may not have understood the bridge in the first place dig it that's that is really good advice i like that a lot that's that is really good i was also curious so 25 years you've been doing this has it been difficult to keep up with the changes because it seems it seems that it was things are changing more and faster even just the last five years Yes, it has been difficult to keep up with the changes, but I am up to the task, and Norb and I are going like crazy to keep with the changes. And um, should I say this? Uh, to credit Norb, one of our clients during COVID, obviously when COVID has hit, we don't do as much filming as we used to, but we found ways to make videos by helping people film themselves on their cell phone. Not the quality we pr prefer, but it keeps videos being made and keeps us working. And so that's one adjustment we've made. And Norb has, I give him a lot of credit because he spent a lot of time educating people. He, he told me one day, he says, it's amazing how many people don't know how to get a video off their phone. And mm -hmm. it's true because we all film ourselves, but I think a lot of people out there, and we're working with people that are not tech savvy like us. I mean, everybody can record something and even maybe throw it to YouTube or Facebook or something, but to get that video file off, that's another thing and send it to someone. So that's one adjustment we've made. And uh, I was gonna talk about another thing and it was in there and it's gone. <laughs> So maybe it'll come back. Okay. But I, I think you were talking about changes. There was another thing I was going to say about the changes being difficult. Oh, I know. <laughs> this leads into my YouTube show. Uh, sure. I, Norb is doing a YouTube show where he's a big Seahawks guy. And if uh, mm -hmm. Houston, you'd be so kind, maybe you would put a link uh, in the show about Norb's channel. But he does all things Seahawk. He's got over 50,000 mm -hmm. subscribers. He's doing stuff every day. He has all kinds of guests. And we have a Rivals video there. Norb has become quite the master broadcaster from his house. I have now followed suit and I have set up a studio in my own place and I'm doing my own YouTube show on video games. I have been playing games my whole life 
And so by doing this, I have learned vMix, which is a great software. I started on OBS Studio, and I still use OBS, but vMix allowed me to take things to the next level. I use vMix to record my show. I do some things in 4K. And all of this are things I taught myself over the last three months. So now I'm running my own show. And part of the reason I'm doing it, there are many reasons. One part for myself, because I like recording a history of the games I like to play and why I like them, and I add my stories of growing up as to what these games meant to me. Another thing is, I'm hoping it'll be something my boys might watch someday. Another thing is, I'm hoping it will entertain people now. And another thing is, it keeps me in tune with what many people are doing right now, which is making their own shows and doing live streaming and having guests on a show, like I'm a guest on your show. So to answer your question about adapting with the changes, the biggest thing I've done is really followed Norb's lead and am doing my own YouTube show now. So I would appreciate any of you out there who like video games to maybe give my show a shot. And uh, I'm trying to grow it. I am podcasting it as well as on YouTube, and um, I have a playlist of all the shows I've done. I've done 85 shows already, and there's about 60 to 70 on YouTube. I have them queued, so they release every Monday through Friday, 5 o'clock. So my show is 5-Minute Gaming with Mike, 5 days a week, 5 p.m. So thanks for letting me plug that. Oh yeah, no problem. Uh, I've I've learned that for myself personally, live content is is the jam for me. I get so anxious and nervous and weirded out when I try to do pre-recorded content. I don't know why. Uh, I think I think it's mostly because I don't have time enough to think about kind of what I'm doing when it's live. It's just me, thought, mouth, done, and there's no going back. And I've I've tried to do a few YouTube videos. I've done some reviews and stuff, and it, it's 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 too it's too nerve wracking for me. So I I applaud I applaud you five <laughs> days a week. That's awesome. That's amazing. Huh. It's good to huh. set goals for yourself. So that's one of my my goals is to keep this thing going, and I'm learning a lot from it. You get you get things out of anything you do, and so sure. I like I said I three months ago I didn't know OBS or VMix. And now I do, and I know it pretty well, and it's great software, and I can even recommend it to others. And I've been doing that. So, That's cool. Kentucky Ranger on YouTube has a has another great question, or I think I think he had one previously. Has a great question. Uh, while modern editing technology and techniques are awesome, is there any old school stuff you use over the new stuff because you personally like the results? Um. As far as old school stuff, I I would say probably the best old school technique that maybe someone could use today is if you're doing filmmaking or corporate work and you need to have a scene of someone driving, it's always tricky to shoot people driving. And obviously it's helpful if you can do it in a controlled studio. But what I encourage you to do, the, the trick I think most Hollywood studios still follow that never turns out very good is they use green screen. Sometimes you have to. We've done it too. But what I encourage you to try is get your hands on an LED projector. And when you're shooting someone in the passenger seat of driver's street out the window, have a projector screen and project 
the driving background that you've already shot behind them. And then you can adjust in camera the, the right brightness levels and depth of field look. But when you're done, it a lot of times it will look better. And we did that in Frayed. If you watch our movie Frayed, that's how we did it. We used an old school projector instead of green screen because driving shots in movies still a lot of times you can just see. And the, the reason is, is because the person's in focus and the, the window area is out of focus. And when you're doing green screen work, if you have blurry spots and sharp spots, in the blurry spots, you end up with artifacting. So not to get too technical, but it can solve that problem. Oh, that's great. So that's one thing I can think off the bat. Hope that helps to use an old school technique, which I think the new school technique is just do everything green screen. And right times it's great, yeah. but so. so. One last thing I'd like to touch on before we end, because we're just 10 seconds over an hour. What are your thoughts on virtual production? Virtual production, you mean, give me an example of what you mean. Uh, say, so there's kind of two, there seems to be two different angles for it. You have uh, sort of the, the Mandalorian style where they have like those big, giant LED yeah. screens or, or the stuff that uh, folks like Matt Workman uh, is doing with Unreal uh, where it's kind of like a green screen cube almost or a volume of, of green screenness and and it's just one person kind of in this space and then in production it's you know a video game scene or something like that. How do, how do you... yeah virtual production is amazing and the mandalorian is what i was thinking of when you asked the question and really what they do in the mandalorian is an extension of my story about the video projection trick in the driving because in the mandalorian they're using these huge screens and they use the unreal engine to put these backgrounds behind them but the great thing is those screens are emitting light and the light wraps the actors correctly to where there is no green screen anymore they're they really look like they're in the world and it's great on all levels if you can afford that obviously that's a super expensive type of production but it's the same thing i think virtual production is great another thing i saw recently maybe it's going viral right now but there's a youtube video out there where they threw a drone flew a drone through a bowling alley and they did oh, a bunch yeah. of circles and so many people are convinced they did tricks but they didn't it's it's a pilot who flew it and it's amazing and he used virtual glasses so he could put himself in the cockpit seat of that drone and fly it through these very tight spaces i thought that was just awesome awesome so i, I saw i saw somewhere they took 11 it, it is a one take shot like it is there's no there's no there's no cuts but it did take like 11 tries yep. to get it to get it right and that's something else too Ugh, those those first person the fov drone stuff is amazing like the racing that they do and, and that sort of stuff. that's wow i, I I'm so technology is so amazing. I, I love yeah. being kind of in the thick of it, and I get to see so many different angles of things, from film production, game development, to scientific computing, engineering. The um, especially Unreal Engine is blowing my mind. Architectural visualization, the film industry, the game stuff, the uh, everything from real estate to to. Like that, like that scene from Jurassic Park where he's manipulating the the genome thing with the AR faceplate. But that's like real now, and it's so funny. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm, we live in very exciting times. I'm endlessly fascinated. 
I agree. All right. Let's see. Uh, no other questions at the moment, so I think we will take that opportunity to wrap it up. So uh, we'll say thank you, Mike, for taking it. This went really, really quick. I, 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 I kind of want to talk to you some more. Maybe we'll have you on again in the future. <laughs> I'd be happy um, to be back if you'd like that. <laughs> cool. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, and thank you for taking the time out of the day uh, to join us today and, and share some insight into the industry and what you do. This was a great talk. Thank you sure. very much. Well, thank you, Houston, and thanks to everyone at Puget Systems for making us some great computers. Oh, for sure, for sure. And I'd like to thank the audience as well for joining us today. Uh, we do this every Friday now, and we have a, a bit more of a mix, a potpourri of content coming out on our Fridays. We'll, we have industry experts like Mike come on, and we sprinkle in some of our own experts internally as well. Uh, we now also include our uh, consultant department and support. So um, it's labs, consulting support and industry experts as well so everybody can mark your calendars for Fridays 1 p.m. Pacific time uh, every Friday as long as I am available I suppose and uh, so uh, we'll see you all next time thank you very much bye bye okay <laughs> <There we go. laughs>